Thank you for making time to be here. We're here for the Lord. This is really the first day of the week. We're getting up on the morning of the first day of the week to, to say, Lord, everything belongs to you. Every moment and minute and hour belongs to you. This gathering of worship should reorient our lives around Christ because he rose from the grave 2,000 years ago, and we still meet every Sunday morning to celebrate that fact. So that is why the church gathers on Sunday mornings. And um, that should be why you've made it to this point. Hopefully you didn't just like follow the crowd down St. Catherine Street and come into here. Now, imagine though, imagine one day if you were walking along and you were following this crowd, just going with the flow as we usually do, um, of where everyone seems intent on going. You're curious to see what people are lining up for. But suddenly you realize at the blast of the, the starting gun that you've followed the wrong crowd, you've entered yourself into a marathon, and now you're in the midst of this crowd that's all running. How would you feel if you accidentally entered a marathon? How would you, how would you feel if you were told you have to run a marathon today on a scale of prepared to completely unprepared? How would you feel? Panicked, <laughs> terrified. Yeah, uh, feeling unprepared is what I'm getting at. That can be a terrifying thing to come to the realization that I'm in something that I was not prepared for. Uh, and many of the big events that we encounter in life, experience in life, bring that feeling to realization. Um, even the wedding day of your marriage is a kind of a sobering reminder of the lifelong commitment through sickness and health. Uh, and you'll never really be fully prepared on day one of marriage for what all of marriage really will bring the incredible highs and lows of life lived together. That's why preparation is important. That's why pre-marriage and marriage counseling are so important because they help regulate and prepare us for the intense highs and lows in something like marriage. Or how about uh, if, if the Lord blesses you with uh, children and you're bringing that first baby home from the hospital, I remember feeling like, how are they trusting me with this fragile little life to carry this away from, uh, from the hospital and bring it home in my car um, to bring my children home? It's one of those things like, okay, you're never quite prepared for this. But anyway, the important things in life call us to be prepared, uh, to not go about haphazardly, randomly, um, through life, but instead to prepare. Um, sometimes, though, we find ourselves um, that we're in situations whether or not we've prepared for them at all. Um, you're going through life by the seat of your pants. You're just kind of taking things as they come, reacting to events in life as they happen to be. Um, it's just not intentional. It's just not a purposeful. And most of the time, it's not Christ-centered. It's not oriented around him. So what we're focusing on in this sermon series, this is week two, is our rule of life. It's, um, it's a series called Rule of Life. And that basically, to give you the picture, which we've re repeated in explanation a few times, but this, think of this like in a garden and you're growing a vine upward, you have a trellis. It's like a ladder that gives structure to the organic growth of our lives. And so, look, uh, John, even uh, Jesus in the book of John tells us to abide in me. I'm the true vine, all right? So 
our lives are like these branches that abide in Christ to bear fruit, but we need to steward our lives, steward our time for a fruitful life and faith in Christ. So uh, one of the ways you can kind of describe that is a rule of life. Um, and that's what we're going through as we, we just look at different subjects in our lives and faith and, um, and build up on this. Things like, what do I do with my time? What do I do with my money? Um, how do we grow in Christ in these different ways? So um, there are workbooks for everybody right at the back of our gathering here. It's really something you can do at home as an application of what we're preaching here on Sunday mornings, but you can grab one at any time as well if you want to take some notes. So we all have a rule of life. It's just whether or not we're being intentional about it or not. Our rule of life is really just how we happen to live our lives by the rhythms and habits and direction, even though if those are poor rhythms or bad habits or lack of direction. So if you're hearing me say, well, what is a rule of life and why do I need one? Well, you already do. You already have one. It's just the way that you are either intentional or unintentionally going through the marathon that is life and whether or not we are really prepared as stewards of the gospel and of the life that God has given us. So we really should have, though, um, we really should feel the, the need for this stewardship. Uh, when life too often feels like we're just going with the flow of the crowd and we come to realize our need for intentionality, our need to steward our time and our resources, um, we really do need that big picture of vision and mission in our lives. And we really do need that small picture of even our our gifts, our relationships, and our talents, um, and our desires in our life. This is a huge part of adulting that I think everyone in Montreal or wherever you're from in this generation can relate to. It's not just a Christian or a non-Christian thing. We all experience the push and pull of life in us and around us. Um, it's a big part of adulthood. Who here is, is really killing it at adulting? Teenagers here, are you really ready to be adults? Remember, uh, adulthood used to be 13 years old. And now they've doubled that and it's like 26 years old. All right? So it's like, no, the first 13 years wasn't enough. I need another 13 years. Then I'll be ready to do this adult thing. Right? So, um, no, a, a common symptom that we can relate to in this lack of preparedness is uh, this generalized anxiety around lack of time. I think a lot of us run around um, feeling just time is so elusive, like there's never enough time. Not enough time in the day to get everything done that we've wanted to do is one of the phrases we hear a lot. Um, so a lot of times we go about our time, we steward our time, unintentionally. We wake up, we eat as fast as we can, we get out to work, we, maybe we skip breakfast altogether. You go through the day, uh, maybe you do something you wanted to do, like go for a run or go to the gym. Uh, maybe you've got to do groceries, you get home, you eat, you put the kids to bed, you watch a show to check out, and you go to sleep. And that's not good stewardship of time, but I think that's a lot of what we do. At least some of those elements of busyness are so, so common for us today. So the big picture of what we're focusing today is on time, our use of time 
there's one thing you remember. We're talking about time. We live this way even till the point that we get to vacation and we get tired and sick on vacation, right, Evan? Get to vacation. Oh, now I'm sick. No, I'm not picking on you. But a lot of the times we're, vacation doesn't even give us the rest that we long for. So that's why if you want to listen to last week's sermon on rest and Sabbath, it's so totally crucial for our lives and our faith today. Um, and then on top of that, when you're in the church and we're saying, okay, you got to juggle all these things in your life. And then we say, hey, you know, when are you coming to the church? When are you uh, joining a city group? Uh, when are you going to be on mission? When are you going to go and do the, when are you going to do fish frost? When are you going to, and it's like, there's too many things to do and there's not enough time. And it, does anyone ever feel like that? Or am I just missing the point? Okay, we do. We feel like that. We feel like uh, often there's not enough time in the day. I saw a meme once that said something along the lines of like, well, life is saying, I'll have more time next month, every month, and then you're dead, right? It's like just every month feels like there's going to be more time next month. No, but the amazing thing about what Henry read for us from Mark chapter 1, as we look at the life of Jesus, is that while the whole city was at his door, and the needs of the whole world are in his hands, he was never in an anxious hurry. Praise God that we have a Savior who is never in a hurry, right? That he was never in a panic. He wasn't anxiously running around. Um, you might say, well, yeah, Jesus, he's perfect. He, we could never be like that. But in fact, the gospel of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection shows us that we are actually called, and not just called and unequipped or unprepared, but we are called and equipped, enabled, prepared for that level of stewardship of our time. For that experience in life before God, to walk with him and abide in him in the full stewardship of our time. The patient and fruitful and abundant life by abiding in Jesus himself. So yes, whether you're really killing it at this adult thing or you're just holding on with white knuckles, look, we still have a deep need for God's intervention in our life. And we have great hope of God's grace and love in our life. Okay? We are in a marathon. Whether or not you signed up for it, we're here. Life is very much like this long endurance that we are called to, all right? So it, for some of us who have kind of put our head down and not looked up or just you know, even bury our head in the sand, we, we are called now to look at the race that is set before us, but to look at him who accomplished everything for us. That's why we worship Christ as our savior, because he lived the perfect life we never could. We're in this marathon whether or not you like it, but the difference in how you will experience this marathon, whether that's mile after mile of monotonous, grueling torture, if you're unprepared for a marathon, that's probably 42 kilometers of pain, or if you'll be ecstatically running on the endorphins of life, okay, the difference of how we might experience this is going to vary depending on how you prepare and the stewardship of the life that God has called you to live. Because no one can run your life for you. No one can run your race for you. God has called you here, 
and he has called you to him. And he has set before us a life for us to steward. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, if you do sign up for a, a marathon, it is best to be prepared. And uh, I'm going to use this as an illustration throughout the sermon. That's why I'm talking a lot about this. It's best to be prepared. And that goal that you set is going to require changes in your life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is some of those changes that we call a rule of life to regulate yourself toward that end goal. We want to be intentional and purposeful about um, that fruitful and abundant life in Christ. So how much more important now should be uh, our faith in Christ, right? Um, not just the, the big things that we prepare for like a marathon or, or marriage or, or family, but our faith, the actual stewardship of our faith in Christ as he is called, as he's revealed himself to us, right? How do we respond to his love towards us? And so we, we see this image of the race a few times in scripture in the New Testament, um, which is the second half of the Bible after the life of Christ or the life of Christ and following. We see the New Testament and Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, he referred to life and faith many times as the, in the concept of race. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, but they do it to receive a perishable wreath. That's like a, a crown of laurels that they put on your head. That's the wreath, not a Christmas wreath you put on your door. But anyway, we have an imperishable wreath, right? The heavenly crowns. So Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as though I'm beating the air, but I discipline, right? I regulate rule of life, regulate my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So guys, I'm not just making up like, okay, life is like a marathon. Let's keep running. No, it's God has revealed through scripture that no, there is a race set before us and he calls us to discipline and keep under control, steward our lives to, to the end goal of his glory by his grace. And then Paul writes again, 2 Timothy chapter 2. He's writing to his buddy Timothy, and he says, An athlete isn't crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Rule of life is all about regulating your life according to the rule of Scripture. Um, Paul writes again in 1 Timothy. He says, Well, look, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but instead train yourself. Okay, there's that intentionality again. For godliness... Okay, we're talking about running a marathon, but yes, bodily training is of some value, he says. But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life, but also for the life to come. So if we need to be intentional and plan for the things that, are, that hold promise for the present life, our faith holds promise for not just the pro present life, but for the life to come. If there is eternal life, in Christ, then we must devote our lives here to know that and to steward that, the truth and treasure of the gospel. So because the time we live in, given to us by God, is so important for our life and faith, we must not run aimlessly. Church 21, visitors, we, whoever you're here today, we must not run aimlessly. You cannot run aimlessly. We can't afford to run aimlessly. We must not compete without any regulation. We must not give in to the age of distraction constantly pulling us away 
from God's call on our life. God has a call on your life, but we live in a generation and an age of distraction that is constantly pulling us away from that. And we need to bring that to the light of the gospel to really thrive in the life God has called us to and not neglect the life God has called us to. So we do this as stewards of our time and in the roles God has given us, the gifts God has given us, the desires God has placed within our hearts, and even the vision and the mission um, that God has called us to. So the message of the gospel for your time, your roles, your gifts, your vision, and mission, these are the terms we're going to talk about today, are crucial Yes, for, for those um, of a younger age, those whose years ahead of them are far more than the years behind them. It is crucial that we steward our time. But it's also crucial for our older age, those whose years ahead of them are less than the years behind them. Right? God is eternal. He is sovereign over all time. And he stands outside of time. But he lives moment by moment, minute by minute, with us. He is eternal and he is imminent. He is at our right hand. God is with us and no moment is ever wasted um, in his purpose and his plan. So wherever and whenever and for however long God calls us to this earth, he has a plan and a purpose for us to steward. Um, and this series is aimed at stewarding our lives by the truth and power of the gospel um, through the context of a rule of life. So Let's get into Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. If, pull up your Bibles. Uh, read the words for yourself. Don't just take Henry's word for it. Don't just take my word for it. You have a Bible, whether that's a paper copy, and if you don't, we have them here. Um, or if it's on your phone or device, go to Mark chapter 1. Look at Jesus. So we see here, I'll read it again. It says in verse 35, towards the end of the chapter, says that Jesus, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, well, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So here in these verses, we see the way that Jesus lived an intentional life. Jesus didn't just take life as it comes. He wasn't just reacting to the needs all around him. No, he was actually intentional about the, uh, his mission and his vision, the big picture. Um, and here in, this, in this, these few verses, we see that intentional life, which is set on his vision and prepared in his mission, fueled in his gifts and his desires by the Spirit of God, and steadfast in his role as Son of God, Messiah, in relation to his Father, and his disciples. All right, so Jesus lived an intentional life. And um, this passage, if we look at it long enough, really should be a kind of an uncomfortable scene. Check it out. These, these verses show incredible depth into Jesus' life um, in such a countercultural way, and even a supernatural way. It says that very early in the morning, Jesus got up while it was still dark, and he went and he departed um, 
to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So, look, these four verbs, rising, departing, going, and praying, these emphasize Jesus' resolve to have fellowship with his Father. Jesus prayed at a very early hour while it was still dark. After the Sabbath day, he got up, he prayed at an early hour. And each one of these signifies intentional effort that Jesus did. So, this is, this is challenging for us. This is uncomfortable for us because when it talks about these four verbs of intentionality, this is not, you know, Jesus rising in the, early, in the morning. This is not Jesus rising his phone from the bedside table. I'm rising my phone from the bedside table to do my devotionals. Um, no, and when it says departing, it's not departing your notifications on your home screen and your social medias and emails, right? When it says going, it's not... Oh, going, moving my thumb to the Bible app and going to the verse of the day and praying a few sentences. No, this is actually hours of preparation, significant time of preparation. You could say there's a sacrificial element to this early morning prayer. It literally means to rise up out of bed. Very hard for me to do after a long week that we had. Um, a bunch of my friends here from Ontario came on a mission trip. We were serving the neighborhood all week and did a big party yesterday for our neighbors. And I was exhausted today. Very hard to do what Jesus did to rise early in the morning, go to a desolate place. Um, so this is a sacrificial element, right? It literally means to get up out of bed early, not hitting snooze a hundred times, and departing from the distractions and comforts that pull us away from God because they're everywhere we go. But it also involves going to a place set up for you to pray well and then spending that time in prayer. Now, next week, we're going to be talking about Scripture and prayer and the spiritual disciplines of Scripture and prayer. So I'm not going to keep going on about that. But a few more points on prayer. The sacrificial element that we are called to that Jesus demonstrates here. Psalm chapter 5 verse 3 says, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. And that that sacrifice, that element of sacrifice can also be translated, I direct my prayer to you. If we read that again, it, it would say, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I direct my prayer to you and I watch. I wait for you. I direct my prayer for you. I prepare my sacrifice for you in the morning. And Psalm 40 makes a couple points on this when David says that in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Picture God giving you his ear, inclining his ear to hear you. That is what David realizes in, in Psalm chapter 40. And then he says this um, at the end of that chapter. He says, look, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and deliverer. Do not delay, my God. And so from these few points and, and from what Jesus practiced in his relationship with the Father. We see that prayer is a sacrifice, that prayer is a privilege. God gives us his presence and his intent, and prayer invites God into our world and our needs. Now, God is always eternal and imminent. He's always with us, but we invite him into our needs. When David says, you are my help, you are my deliverer, do not delay. God is eternal, but he is within our time. Do not delay is our prayer for God. So Jesus sets an example for us of his rule, an element of his rule of life, uh, which he gave to his own disciples when he said to go and pray in secret. So Jesus, as, as God, he was prayed to. But as man, he, was, he prayed. He prayed to his Father. So this is an important element for us. 
Um, you can deduce on the subject of time, you can deduce what is important to a person by what they do with their time, what they do with their day. It's like we say, well, you know, how you spend your money shows where your heart is. But we can say the same thing about our time. Where you spend your time is where your heart really is. It's obvious in this passage to see Jesus' heart was with his father. And he spent his most valuable time with him. He that is first and best ought to have the first and best of our time. Going on to verse 37 and 38, Peter comes and uh, he says, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. Finally, they find Jesus. They wake up. They have to go and search for Jesus. They find him. They say, everyone's looking for you. And Peter and the others, they only see the needs and therefore they don't understand the why, why Jesus went away to pray. But Jesus intentionally removes himself from the crowds and then he goes on to the next towns because he's obeying the Father's call to preach the gospel. There's something more important than the urgent needs that the the disciples see around them. So from the discomfort of this passage, we get to see what I would describe as Jesus' powerful, countercultural, counter-natural, right, supernatural uh, rule of life in the areas of time, his time, his roles, his gifts, his desires, his vision, and his mission. So I'm going to pack those terms for us here. But the tension is uncomfortable because Jesus, he does not take the path of least resistance. He doesn't take the path to fame if he just stayed there and healed everybody um, who had a need at that time. He doesn't take the bait of what's urgent according to the needs around him, um, according to others. But he is powerfully, counterculturally, and supernaturally set on God's call. So let's go through these elements that we see um, about roles, gifts, desires, um, vision, and mission. And the reason I'm referring to these terms, well, one, because they are uh, very relevant aspects of our stewardship of the gospel. But as you go into section two in your rule of life, the stewardship of time, we're specifically looking at these God-given attributes for us of our roles, our gifts, talents, um, uh, vision, and mission, and desires. So how do we see that in Jesus here? We see uh, Jesus' roles. What, what are Jesus' roles in life? We see Jesus in his primary relationships with God, his disciples, and the world. Three things. Relationship with God, relationship with his disciples, relationship with the world around him. These are his roles. So out of those relationships, that's where we see what a role is. Um, that's the function or position or title in a relation. So Jesus' roles are son of God. Okay, his relationship with the Father, Jesus' role, son of God. Um, Jesus' role is rabbi and Lord to his disciples. Um, to the world, Jesus, his role is healer, Messiah. So Jesus is intentional to orient his life in serving God, serving his disciples, and serving the world, right? The Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. So his relationships determine his roles, and his roles are of the, the nature of serving. So these are Jesus' roles. Second point, 
gifts. We see Jesus' gifts of preaching, obviously, uh, teaching, healing, delivering, prayer, discernment, wisdom, prophecy. Just within these four verses, we see all kinds of spiritual gifts that Jesus was going about. He was going about healing and delivering. He was praying and discerning. Um, He was preaching and teaching the gospel. Um, So these are spiritual gifts that would be kind of additional to our personal gifts and talents or our uh, temperament, a disposition, all of which are God-given graces that shape our call in life with that relationship that we steward. That's the second element we're looking at is gifts. Third one is desires or passions. We see here in the passage, Jesus's deep desires in his love for God, the Father, which we see his desires for God in that focused time spent with God in prayer and in silence and solitude. We see Jesus's desire, his motivation to preach the gospel because he says, I must go on to the other towns and preach. That's why I came. Um, We can even see his core values actually regulating, resisting demands that are outside of or contrary to his vision and his mission. His desires before God are completely filtered through his vision and his mission for God. And that dictates what what he spends his time on. He wants to help and heal all the sick people. But he also wants to go on to Galilee and continue preaching the gospel there. So the important desire, the important need, outweighs the urgent desire or the urgent need. So his decision, played out in the stewardship of his time, means that he must go on to Galilee to preach the gospel there, despite the needs in Capernaum. So this is where we see Jesus' desires. We're going to look at all these things and apply them to ourselves um, at the end of this sermon. The fourth element we're looking at is our vision and our calling. So we can see the vision and calling of Jesus clearly here in this passage in that he knows that there are people in physical need right around him, but instead of stopping to heal them um, and stay there indefinitely, his vision, his long-term goal is completely set on the next people in need of the gospel. And ultimately, we know Jesus' face is set on towards Jerusalem on that day where we know he will accomplish redemption um, in his glorification by his death and resurrection. Everything was geared towards that vision, and that dictated everything that had to happen. And even uh, later on in Mark chapter 8, Peter tries to deter Jesus from the cross with a different vision. He says, well, Jesus says the Son of Man must go to the cross, be rejected and suffer and die. And Peter's like, no, this, there's got to be another way. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Right? That, that vision is not from God. I know the vision I have from God is that the Son of Man must be rejected and die and rise again. Okay? So he had clarity on his raison d'etre, his reason for being. He says, that is why I came out here in Mark chapter 1. And then the fifth element that we're talking about today in under this umbrella concept of time is our mission. And how do we see that in, in Christ? It was towards that vision and that calling, theoretically speaking, Jesus knew I must go on and preach the gospel, ultimately accomplishing redemption. It's toward that vision and calling that Jesus then lives out his mission of daily intentionality. He works towards what he is called to, 
We must work towards what we're called to. That's why our vision in life as we're running the marathon of life is so important that we discern the vision and calling that we have, that we may work towards what we are called to. So this is, in the ultimate sense, what you might say is Jesus' vocation. Jesus' mission is actually uh, the practical outworking of his vision and calling. So if Jesus came to preach the gospel, then he must go and preach the gospel. That's his why. That's The why always comes before the what. Jesus didn't um, just come... Uh, to do preaching. He came to preach for the reason of his call. So all of this, guys, is, is um, related to the subject of time, how we steward time, how Jesus stewarded his time. To Jesus, time was not expendable. It was not inconsequential. It was not irrelevant. Time matters um, to Jesus. God eternal sent Jesus at the fullness of time, at the right time. And at the proper time, God sent his son to earth for us. And Jesus knew throughout his life and ministry, the importance of his time and his hour that he kept referring to in relation to his calling and his vision. Jesus stewarded daily time with his father, with his disciples, and with the world around him. He lived that life of crucial godly, supernatural tension to embrace and resist. To resist the demands of the world and re embrace the call and the will of his Father. So to resist the deceitful desires of the enemy and to embrace the deep desires of the king. So all of Jesus' life highlights God's love for you in redeeming our dead helpless and hopeless life into the promise he offers of eternal life. Everything about Jesus' life highlights that fact of God's love for you and redemption. And Jesus' vision and mission and the timeliness of the cross, the proper time of the cross, should not just be like uh, highlighter notes like a highlighter in, in your notes about Jesus. Like, let me just, okay, now I know um, this about Jesus. But this really should enter us into the heart of Jesus. This really shouldn't just be like a, a little side note on Jesus' life, but this should really rip through us in such a way that, as Paul says in Galatians 6.14, he says, the cross is so significant, I can't boast about anything else he says it is by the cross by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The fact of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is so significant that it demands the death of ourselves to the world and the death of the world to ourselves. All because of this fullness of time. Paul wrote in Galatians, he says, when the fullness of time had come, that's when God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We were under a curse, but he was sent to free us. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, says it a different way. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And he made known to us the, the mystery of his will according to the purpose of Christ. Right? The purpose as a plan for the fullness of time. 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Romans 5 says, while we are still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 1 Timothy says, there's one God, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So I'm telling you, time is not irrelevant. Time is not inconsequential. And even though God is eternal, he's not time-bound, and we are time-bound, time is significant to him. He's the creator. And at the proper time, he brought the gospel to us through Jesus' life and death. So this is amazing that God had you in mind through the scope of time. That's incredible to think about. But even Jesus, as he was called to his earthly ministry and he walked day by day in his time-bound incarnation, time was super relevant to him. He keeps saying throughout the book of John, um, he spoke in the treasury in chapter 8 as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. It was not yet the time. In John 12, Jesus told them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In John 12, he's praying and he says, now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. And John 13, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of the world, to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And finally, when Jesus had spoken these words in John 17, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. So Jesus' purpose and his hour came down from the big, eternal, cosmic picture down to the small, daily, minute picture. It all came down to God's purpose of glorification in saving sinners from death and hell by dying on the cross in our place. That's how much time matters to God, but that's how much you matter to God. That God eternal would use all of time to come down to one very hour where Christ himself would die as a sacrifice once for all, for all of time. So now, guys, as Jesus redeems us by his death and resurrection, this changes our whole identity. This is really what I'm getting at. We are no longer orphans, but we are sons and daughters. Jesus' primary role was son of God, right? And everything oriented around that. We are not the son of God, but we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of the king. And we are called to reorient our lives around him. He must be at the center of why we do what we do. If that is true, that God sent Christ to, into the world as a ransom for all at the fullness of time, then that means that our time belongs to him and you belong to him. You and I have now been called to live a life that reflects the beauty of God and the goodness of God. He's called you to, to live and love in relation to God 
and to one another in that same countercultural, supernatural way that Christ lived that abundant and fruitful life in the stewardship of his roles and his gifts, his desires, his vision, and his mission. So by the wisdom of Scripture, by the grace of the gospel, and by the power of the Spirit, we get to make the best use of the time. Not to accidentally run a marathon as, you know, many of us have spent our time in random, haphazard, accidental, reactionary, self-centered lifestyle, but rather an intentional, purposeful, proactive, and Christ-centered lifestyle toward God and others. So you might be crushing it at life. You might be hanging on by a thread. I don't know. Your years ahead of you might be less than your years behind you. Or you might feel like time is expendable. Life is limitless because, look, you're still figuring out who you want to be when you grow up. In any case, wherever God has called you to live and love, he has shaped you in unique ways for his glory in the great news of eternal life and purpose towards us. So, I just have a few points um, on application. And uh, I already just uh, spent so much time just going through Jesus' life and how much the importance of the gospel you know, like transforms everything we think about our time, our roles. Uh, there could be a whole other sermon ahead of me, but I'm going to have to wrap it up. Um, but let's look about how, let's look at how these roles and these gifts and these desires and this vision and this mission apply to your life. This is what we're going to go on from here. Thinking about what is the best use of your time according to the relationships, the gifts uh, that God has given you. So here's what we'll do. Um, going from here, you might take some notes here. Or you might grab a notebook and do this from home. Think about your roles. What are your roles? What are your relationships? Okay, it starts here with relationships. What are my primary relationships? Think about this. All right, if you're taking notes, this is a good time to write down what are your key primary relationships. Um, so for me, this would be like, well, my wife, uh, my kids, uh, my work, things like this. Okay, um, those will help you identify your roles in relation to the people that you are with. Um, so in my case, that would be like... Um, what are my roles? What demands my time? What requires my time? Or who should have my time, primarily speaking? Well, if, uh, if I'm a child of God, then he should have the first and the best of my time. Okay, so my primary role is a child of God. My second role is as a husband to my wife, Jillian. My third role is as a father to my children. Third role, uh, fourth role is as a pastor, right? That's my vocation. Um, to the people around me. Um, and you might add other things from there about, uh, well, I'm a volunteer, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a dentist, I'm a coach, I'm a runner, things. Think through the different relationships and roles around you. And um, question one on page seven in your workbook, you can go through um, the, the, the significance of what my relationships call me to, right? Because our relationships should be of the nature of a serving for the glory of God, okay? So we serve for the glory of God. Second question to develop here is what are my gifts? If we're, if we're looking to run the race set before us, we've got to know our roles. 
We have to properly orient our time around our roles, but you've got to know your gifts. What are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? What are your natural talents? And what are your spiritual gifts? And what does is, what is even your temperament say about who you are and who God has made you to be? Um, take some time to reflect on these things as we go from here to think through what, what, what gives me life? What do I enjoy doing in my natural talents? Look, I can't sing. Uh, it's amazing. I never knew Simon could sing. And that was a great job, Jessica. We need talents in the church, right? And, and the Holy Spirit equips us with different gifts and talents. Um, we see amazing graphic design that we see in like things like um, our printed material and our digital material. These take skill. Uh, some people can't draw a stick figure. Um, you know, God has given some creative talent to me. That is life-giving to me. That's something I can identify as, look, that's the way God made me for an intention um, by his grace for his glory. So we think about our actual gifts and talents, but also spiritual gifts. You can look back and go to our sermon, um, actually March 7th, 2021. We did a sermon on spiritual gifts. If you want to go and listen to that or study the spiritual gifts, we'll get to see ways that the Spirit has empowered us by his grace for the building up of the church. So each one of us has a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts. Um, it's not something, uh, if we are in Christ, we have, we have each been given a gift. Um, he's also made us with a different temperaments. Uh, different, yeah, there's different elements of nature and nurture and that make us who we are and, and what we do in certain ways. But God uses even who we are to meet unique needs in the world around us. I'm not Evan. I can't be Evan. God has made Evan. God has made Isaiah. Each of us in a different temperament, right? To fit in and to meet unique needs in the world around us. So who we are matters to God. And even our, our gifts and our talents and our temperament matter to God. But these should all be filtered through the gospel, redeemed. Every ounce, every thread of our being, every fiber of our being is, should be reoriented to a cross and a Christ-centered life, not a self-centered life when I talk about temperaments and talents. And even more so for desires. So your third point to develop is your desires. What are my innate desires that God has given me? This is tricky because in our world, there are competing desires, even in our own life and in our own faith. We have deep desires in our heart, and God has given you desires in your heart. God wants for there to be deep desires in your heart. That is how he has hardwired you to be. He wants you to want for things, right? But sin has entered in and hotwired even our own nature into a sinful nature that our desires, we don't even know what we want. And we actually want the wrong things. So Psalm 37 says, well, if you delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, this is a good thing that God would give us the, the desires of our heart. But then Jeremiah 17 says, but the heart is deceitful above all things, right? And it's desperately sick. No one can understand it. So there are competing desires. Um, like me, today, I wanted to wake up early. That was my deep desire. But I kept wanting to hit that snooze button. That was that deceitful desire taking me away from what I really wanted to do. Right? If you want to run a marathon, that's my ultimate desire is to run a fast marathon. Yeah, but there's so many desires in my day to, you know, eat ice cream and sit on the couch. So we have competing desires that are contrary to another. 
that we must surrender in a life of surrender to Christ. Um, fourth element out of five here would be developing your vision and your calling. And a lot of this is going to take time. A lot of this is going to take silence, solitude, uh, scripture, community. You're going to need to develop these things together. But what is the intentional passion that God has planned in me is a good question to ask. What is the intentional passion that God has planned in me? So what am I called to do? A lot of times we just ask, what do you do? Well, you know, you, you might be a forklift mechanic, but that's not your calling. That's your vocation, right? But you actually feel called to justice in the world. It, you have a passion for something like that, right? So vision is about matching your God-given passion to the needs of the world around you. That is your calling because your calling supersedes your vocation um, and what we do day to day. Uh, a writer, Gordon T. Smith, he says this in his book, Courage and Calling, much bigger than a career or job or occupation, our unique calling will be based on our gifts and abilities and will grow out of our deepest desires and will always involve some response to the needs in the world. So where is it that God has opened your eyes uniquely to have a passion for a certain need in the world around you, right? We are all called um, primarily as followers of Christ between two primary callings, the great commandment to love the Lord your God above all else and the great commission to go into the world and make disciples of Christ. But your calling and your vision, they matter to God, um, and the passions that he has given for you. And then finally, what am I currently doing to pursue my vision and calling? That is your mission. If you have a vision and a calling that God has called you to, how are you actually working towards that? What am I currently doing to pursue my vision and calling? Now, this is really important as we steward our time. Because a lot of the time, if we are wasting our time, if we don't know what our vision and calling is, then our mission is going to be like, jello. It's not clear. It's, it doesn't stick. It's just falling apart. We just take life as it comes. But if we know what our vision and our calling is, then we will work towards what we're called to, not just in a theoretical way, but in a very practical way. This is why we've included a calendar in this workbook, because you're going to need to write out, well, if this is my vision and calling in life, do I actually see that in my monthly, my, my annual, my weekly, my daily rhythms, my habits? Well, if God has called us to a certain vision and calling, we should see that in the stewardship of our time. And that means we should grow in um, our, our faith, in the ability to decide what to say yes to and what to say no to and how it gets into our calendar. Okay, just like Christ in Mark chapter 1, he wasn't going after the urgent needs in front of him, but he was going to the more important needs not yet before him. So um, this is something to develop as well. And uh, here in our church, we offer free subscription to Right Now Media. It's like this online library. It's like a Netflix of Bible studies and things. And we've put up some custom content on there about how to steward your time. Um, you can talk to one of us about finding that, signing up for that. And it talks about just prioritizing our time for the sake of the gospel and our faith here. So um, that would be our mission, is how we live out our, our vision from in our actual day-to-day. -day. Um, 
So as I said at first, I'm wrapping up here. Life is like a marathon, right? It's difficult, but rewarding, long-distance run. So you are a runner. That is your role. And if that is your role, um, then everything needs to kind of reorient around that. But through Christ, we're not just running through life aimlessly. We are followers of Christ. We abide in him, and everything needs to reorient around that. So friends, God has called you to live and love in a unique way for the sake of the glory of God in heaven and on earth. He's called you to this, and he has made you for this. He has hardwired you for this, and he's redeemed you in Christ for this, to be a people for his own possession, for the good works that he has prepared for you. So my advice, take some time this week alone or with someone else in your city group or your change group or, or uh, you know, open with your Bible and prayer to examine your roles, your gifts, your desires, your vision, and your mission. Submitting ourselves to Christ, our Redeemer and Lord, not just in theory, but in our practical day-to-day lives is what we're called to. We're called and enabled to be more intentional and fruitful than we ever could have hoped to experience apart from Christ. So if you're looking at the marathon of life ahead and you feel totally uh, prepared, well, good. There's hope today to make the best use of your time. If you're feeling totally unprepared, there is hope today to make the best use of your time because Christ is eternal and imminent. If you're here um, and you're looking at the months and years to come, you've counted your days and you seek to finish the race well that you've run, there's hope today and forever through redemption in Christ's perfect life and death. So let's go wherever you're at. Through Christ, we're called um, to walk in him. So let's go from here. I'll pray and uh, we'll respond in worship. Father God, um, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know where my, my, where my words and my thoughts fall short, as they certainly do. God, you are so much bigger, so much better. And I'm so glad, Lord, for your grace that you've called us here to know you, to love you, to be known by you. And uh, our ultimate hope, God, is in you. And we get to see that today through Jesus, his vision and his mission for the gospel. And that's totally changed our lives. We can no longer run aimlessly the way we have been, God. So we confess we have been running aimlessly. But we profess, Jesus, you ran perfectly. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to run and not grow weary. Speak to us, God, uh, in our roles, the relationships you've given us. Speak to us, God, in the, um, the gifts and spiritual gifts and even the personal talents you've given us. Pray that you'd speak to us in the desires that you want for us to have and the desires that you've hardwired into us that are redeemed by your gospel. God, I pray that you'd speak to us on the vision that you have for us, far better than any vision we could have for ourselves. We need your vision, your calling to how you would have us reflect your glory here in the earth, in the world. And God, help us to live it out on mission. Help us to actually steward our time for your glory and by your grace. Amen.